Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast, located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we are a community striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. We hope this is an encouragement to you in your life, no matter where you are. Thanks for joining us. Uh, How many of you went camping with the church last week? Yes, some whoops. We missed those of you that were not able to go. Um, we had a fun time. I was those of you that raised your hand. How many people were there Sunday morning still at the campsite? All you skippers. Church with, with me. I was, I was with you. Um, some of you hustled back, made it here to volunteer and serve, and thank you. Uh, those of us that were there Sunday morning, we also had an encouraging time just sitting around and remembering who God is together. But um, I had a blast camping last weekend. It was a lot of fun. Um, If you were there, who was tired after that weekend? Only a few, a few. Did anybody get in your car as you headed home and you had some sleeping kids, sleeping dogs maybe? There were a lot of uh, tired, exhausted pups from that weekend. Ours was like uh, totally cashed out, I think for a day and a half, but... um, but uh, you, know, you know what this is like. Like after a long weekend of camping, you're tired, you're exhausted. We, Sam and I, my wife Sam and I would also um, just talk about how much fun camping is, but how exhausting camping is. You're just like working the whole time. A little bit easier when you're with the church. But um, I know there were some of you that stayed awake until 2 a.m., I heard. I don't know if anybody went past 2 a.m., but uh, needless to say, like totally makes sense if you were exhausted. Um, I was driving home. I wish I was a sleeping passenger in the car on the way home. Um, that doesn't, wouldn't work out so well. But uh, I'm bringing this up, just even thinking back on last week in the point of, uh, you know, remembering what it feels like to be tired, remembering what it feels like to be exhausted. And some of us were feeling that last weekend when we went camping. Those of you, if you were not there, think of a moment when, when you were tired, utterly just exhausted, uh, wanted to go to sleep. Um, as Lisa read this morning, we're going to touch on in the passage, uh, not, not the main theme, but we're going to talk about sleep a little bit. And we, you know, we saw what the disciples did in their, their moment of exhaustion and tiredness. Uh, but I think it's helpful for us to try and recall what that feeling feels like when you're just, you're exhausted. Some of you may, I actually saw a couple of yawns right when I said that. So um, yes, I, I can see you up here. Um, but uh, you know what it feels like to be tired. Maybe some of you worked an all-nighter last night. You're feeling it right now. Like, gosh, I wish I could be sleeping. So Godspeed for you if that's you this morning. But, um, but imagine in, in that moment of your tiredness, you're about to kind of fall into dreamland. Eyes, eyes are heavy, excited to just launch into sleep. And in that moment, your phone pings from your best friend or your spouse next to you says, hey, I just had a really hard day and I want to talk. Can we unpack this right now? I don't know about you, but I, in those moments, am not a superhero to be able to focus. Okay, it's not time for sleep right now. I've even got a friend who's been known to get out of bed and stand up and just like stand, stand next to bed. Some of you smiling, you know the person I'm talking about, but, um, but it's like in, in that moment when you're exhausted and tired, to try and do the work of engaging with the person who's just like, hey, let's, let's unpack this right now. It's, 
incredibly difficult. And I think we see uh, in, our, in our passage this morning from the disciples that a little bit of that struggle. And I'm not saying like sleep is not bad, obviously. Uh, we're created for sleep. Our bodies are susceptible to being tired. It's a good thing. God calls it a gift. Um, I'm inclined to believe that it plays a significant role uh, for my wife. May in fact be her, the sixth love language, perhaps. Um, I should write that book, but, um, but God, God even instructs us to rest. He, he rested himself on the seventh day. We see Jesus, an account in the gospels where he falls asleep in the boat with his disciples. So by no means is sleep bad, but um, there's also times where we know that it, it needs to be set aside. It needs to be uh, not the priority. We want to sleep, but there's other things that are more important. And um, those of you that are parents know what this is like. Have you ever had a sick child in the middle of the night? You're exhausted, just want to go to sleep. Maybe you've got a, a baby that needs to nurse because they're hungry. Your body doesn't want to do it. You're exhausted. You're tired. If you're a professional and you've got a big presentation coming up, you've got a team that's counting on you, you know you're behind, you need to finish it. You don't want to let people down. Those of you that go to school, students in the morning, waking up, Getting to class, you know you need to, you want to just stay in bed, right? Like we, we can all feel and experience what it's like to be tired, but to know, okay, I can't, I can't do this right now. Um, in those moments, imagine if you choose sleep, you choose to give in and, and you know, what happens when you don't show up, that sick child that needs some snuggles in the middle of the night? and you let them tough it out. Or a baby that needs to feed, and you let them cry. I'm not talking about sleep training. That's another kind of tugging on heartstrings for those of you that have gone through it. But, uh, but letting your child just kind of tough it out when they're hungry, it's like that, that sense of betrayal or abandonment or the hurt that can be experienced. Your team wants you to show up in the morning having the presentation dialed, and you say, hey, I didn't get it done. Letting, letting people feel that, like, oh, they let us down. I think that's, that's where we see the disciples this morning. And we can feel even that, that feeling, that pit in your stomach when you know that you've, you've blown it, you've let someone down, you've chosen what you wanted to do instead of what you should have done. Um, and I think we also know what it's like to be on the receiving end of that, to be let down, to be the person that um, wanted someone to come through for us, and they didn't. As we've been studying in the book of Mark, uh, we're, we're kind of towards the end of the gospel of Mark, and Jesus has just, we've been introduced to a few scenes of betrayal that Jesus has said will happen, or we're going to find ourselves in this morning. Um, Jesus is experiencing a, a betrayal on his way to Calvary, and this was a moment where he needed his buddies to have his back. He was in the midst of grief. And uh, we're going to see the disciples let Jesus down. And they're going to disobey his instruction to them. And I, and I, I know that uh, even as we read this story, the thing is that we can, we can relate. We, we do this too. We know what it's like to let others down, to disobey um, and just like the disciples will talk about, we, we let Jesus down too. But um, I, I think we'll also find some, some reason for hope 
and some good news this morning. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but let's jump into Mark 14. If you have a Bible with you, let's turn there. We're going to be in verse 32. Um, if you've got it on your, your phone, your app, you want to follow along, that's fine too. So um, <clears throat> verse 32, what's, what's going on? The last, a couple of weeks ago, Mark, uh, Mark was teaching through the Passover meal. So Jesus is, uh, Jesus, Mark, if you want to pull that, um, that map up, actually, put that map on the screen. Um, so they've just been, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Justin talked about when Jesus uh, was anointed with uh, the oil from the woman that happened in Bethany. So outside of Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, he said, go on ahead of me to Jerusalem and prepare the Passover meal. So they've gone from Bethany. They've come across the Mount of Olives and they've been in Jerusalem. We know um, that it says that it was, it was after sunset. So this is evening time. They've just been in the city eating the Passover meal. Jesus has let them know that there's a betrayer among them. And they've said, is it, is it I? Is it me? Joseph talked us through uh, the other week that Judas, Judas going to betray Jesus. So this is where they are. It's nighttime. They finish, they've finished the Last Supper and they leave the city of Jerusalem and kind of where they're going is to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is, uh, Jerusalem's up on a hill. So we're looking top down. Uh, they, they descend the hill. They cross the Kidron Valley. Says there's a brook there into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is... Um, a garden on the Mount of Olives, which is a Mount of Olives, is filled with olive trees. Um, Mark, you can show us what picture of olive trees. This is like, these are old growth. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane still has uh, several thousand year old olive trees there. And so um, Gethsemane actually means olive press. So it's likely that the Garden of Gethsemane, um, if you want to go back to that map, was a space on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives kind of runs north and south here, where they would, they would gather the harvest, they'd press olives, so it's a clearing. This is not, for us Pacific Northwest folks, when we think of a garden, it's like lush and exotic and wet. This is, this is not that. This is the Middle East, this is like dry, so it's a garden, but picture the scene. They're surrounded by these olive trees, and um, this is also a place that was familiar to them. So Jesus would often, we're told in the Gospels, he would go to the Mount of Olives to pray. He would go with the disciples onto the Mount of Olives. This, the garden was familiar to them. So it's a place he takes them that's familiar and they've been before. Um, and we're gonna, let's jump into verse 32. Mark, you can, uh, you can take that slide down. Verse 32, uh, if you're following along, says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So this is, this is all of the disciples, uh, perhaps minus Judas. He's, he's gone on to gather the, um, the chief priests and soldiers, the scene that we're going to be looking at in coming weeks. Um, but Jesus instructed all of his disciples to sit and wait while he's praying in the garden. He's giving them an instruction to obey. He's saying, sit here and wait. Um, as we read on, he's, he wants them to pray. The expectation is that they're going to listen. They're going to be there, watchful, awake. Verse 33 says, and he took with him Peter and James and John. Now, Peter and James and John in the gospels, they're, they're like the inner three. These are his close relationships. These are the guys that um, have been nearest to Jesus in some of the most significant moments. 
Uh, there's a, a, a picture in the passage where Jesus ascends the mountain and is transfigured. And the three disciples that see him transfigured in all of his glory are Peter and James and John. So these are the guys that have been closest to him. And he's inviting them along here. They're going to get a closer picture of what the kind of the struggle that Jesus is entering into. Um, and likely the ones who did it in their sleepy haze heard what Jesus said so that they recorded it. And we have the words that give us the detail of this passage. Verse 33 it says that Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And so the question, obvious question is why? Why was he distressed? Why was he troubled? Um, Jesus, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what's, uh, what is about to happen. So prior weeks that we've studied through Mark, uh, there's been three times up until now that Jesus is foretold, I will be handed over to the, by the chief priests and the scribes to the Gentiles, He'll be crucified. He foretells his crucifixion and his resurrection. So three times up until this point, he's talked about it with his disciples openly. Um, and, and so this awareness that this is the eve of what's about to happen, what I've been talking about. And Jesus' response is he's distressed. He's troubled, that kind of pit in your stomach, right? Um, another reading of the text is that he was sorrowful and he's deeply grieved in his soul. I think the, a question to ask is, do the, does that description give the picture that Jesus found it easy to go to the cross? I think if, uh, if you're a Christian today or you're familiar with Christian doctrine, you may have heard, heard it said often that, uh, you know, we can talk about Jesus came to die for our sins. Jesus is fully God. We say those things frequently. It's a part of the, the gospel message that we hold dearly if you're a follower of Christ. But I think when those things become repetitive, said often, we can lose this understanding or the perspective of the internal struggle that it actually was for Jesus in what he was about to do. He's deeply tormented uh, in, his, in his soul um, over what's coming. And I think we see in that a picture both of Jesus's humanity. He knows what it's like to wrestle through wrestle through grief and struggle and sorrow, just like we do. And we also see, I think, that, that picture of Jesus wrestling in prayer with the Father, too, and um, over what he's about to do. Kind of, God, is this, is, this, is this really what I have to go through with? Back to verse 34. Jesus said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So this is the second time he said, remain here, be watchful, stay alert. Um, literally, it means stay alert, be awake. And going a little farther, Jesus fell on the ground. He falls under the weight of what he knows he's about to do. And I was, I was thinking this week, like, what? How can I, how can I relate with that? What, is, what has gripped me to the point of just, oh, you know, that pit. And some of you, um, you may have experienced like incredible loss. That comes to mind. Jesus is, he's fallen under the weight of it. What came to mind for me, this was um, a couple years ago now. Uh, I was at work and this was, so timeline wise, one of the, um, a, the school shooting in Texas had just happened. And I got a call when I was at work that, um, it, yeah, just dropped me 
So this was our kids. We have three kids uh, at the time. All three of them were in elementary school by our house, Sandpoint Elementary. Um, got a call from my wife, told me what had happened, that there was a, an adult male that had made his way onto campus and had been chasing kids on the school grounds. Kids are screaming. He had made his way into one of the classrooms and had grabbed several students. Um, kids are frightened, throwing them into... Um, Kids into panic. Our school community is, is in panic. What's happening? Um, my son, oldest son, had been in that classroom where that happened. My daughter was next door, heard the, the crying of your classmates. Remember that? Um, and I can remember how I felt when I got the phone call, just the distress in my gut. Like, oh, I didn't have all the details of what was happening, but like given context of what had been happening in our country, thinking of these kids and what they're going through, just the suffering that, you know, what are they feeling right now? Just that swelling pit in my stomach. Um, I remember what I'd left my work meeting. I remember just kind of collapsing into my, into my car and just, Lord, what, what is this? You know, what is this? And I think this, when I look at the scene of Jesus and he falls under the weight of, God, is, is this really what I have to go through with? Is this just? Is this right? You know, he, it's, not a, it's not a moment where, uh, you know, where Jesus is, is saying, um, God, is this, is this something that, uh, you know, is, is possible for me to He's not wanting to get out of it. It's not in the sense of, God, you're not, you're not capable of making this, this cup pass from me. Um, but Jesus is more saying when, verse 35, moving on, he prays that if it's possible, the hour might pass. And so it's not a, a prayer from Jesus of, God, are you able to make this pass? It's not that he's questioning God's ability to do it or his capability in that sense, but more, God, is, is this really your desire? Like, is this really your will? And we see later on in, in the passage that Jesus has been praying for an hour. He's praying for an hour of this fallen on the ground. His soul is deeply troubled. He's sorrowful. Um, it's work, right? I don't know if you've experienced that in prayer before, uh, but we see a picture in Jesus that it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to pray. It's not just like, God, would you fix this? We go on our way. It's not a one and done moment that Jesus says and then just kind of moves on and from, but he's, he's wrestling it out with God in the moment. Verse 36, <clears throat> he says to God, Abba, Father. Now that, that word Abba, um, some of you may know, but it's a, it's a word that means daddy for, for Jewish kids. It was something they'd used for, um, for their parents. This is new for Jesus to use this term of God. It was not something that, uh, that people, Jewish people would commonly refer to God the Father as Abba. So this is new that Jesus is introducing God as Abba. Um, it's, so little children, Jewish children would use this term with their parents. Um, they wouldn't use it of God. But I, I guess just to be, to be honest with you, that's a term I'm, I'm familiar with, I've heard of, I've known Christians that when they pray, they feel comfortable talking to God as Abba. I have a hard time relating with that. And I, I don't know why that is, but, uh, but something happened this week that helped me see 
how beautiful it is for an adult child to use a term of endearment with their parent. Um, in the office that I work out of, there's a, a woman that is, she's uh, several years older than me. She helps care for the building that I work out of. And the other night I was preparing the sermon, I was uh, doing some studying and I, I walked past, she had her things that were left on the ground um, on the floor. And I noticed that on top of her coat was a Ziploc bag that said, mama, and kind of made me smile. And I you know, walked around the corner and I, I see her standing there with her headphones on. And I said, are you mama? And she kind of pulled her headphones off. She goes, did you call me a llama? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. Are, are you the mama? I saw the, I saw the bag. And she kind of like, oh, you know, smile of recognition comes across her face. And she says, yeah, I, I have a 32 year old daughter with autism and she makes me sandwiches when I go to work and she likes to write me notes on it. And it just, it, it made me smile. Mark, you want to pull that picture up? Um, this was the next day. I, I saw this again. And it just, I was thinking, you know, here's this, this woman, her adult daughter, loves her mama. Such a beautiful picture. And I think that this actually honestly helped me see like, oh, that's the kind of endearing term of God the Father to Jesus is daddy, mama. Like these, these words that we can use for our parents, our family. It's familial and it's intimate. Um, helped me get a picture of what Jesus's uh, relationship with God is like. Thanks, Mark. Um, so he says in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What is Jesus talking about when he says, remove this cup? Um, in... Mark 10, Jesus had referenced with his disciples the cup that he would drink. Um, he said uh, to his disciples, you're not able to drink this cup that I'm about to drink. There's other references in scripture that refer to cup. Um, some of them, they refer to the cup of salvation. In Psalm 16, 116 that we read this morning, there's a reference to the cup of salvation. But more often, there's the cup is a reference to the cup that holds God's wrath. And in Isaiah 51 says, from the hand of Yahweh, the cup of his wrath that the son of man would drink. So Jesus, when he says, remove this cup from me, why, why a cup of wrath? And Jesus is going to Calvary. He's going to the cross, taking on the cup of God's wrath on behalf of our sin, on behalf of the disobedience of humanity for all time. Jesus is becoming the sin offering. So the Old Testament, we have the picture of a sacrifice that is made for sin. It would atone for God's wrath. Jesus is saying, this cup I'm about to bear, the cup of God's wrath. And, it's, and we see what it does to him. It falls to his knees thinking of bearing the weight of God's wrath upon himself, which is the, the, the final once and for all punishment for sin. Jesus staggering under the weight of it. But he says to God, yet not what I will, but what you will. So even in the midst of his struggle, the weight of this, Jesus is choosing, yielding, God, not my will, your will, moving forward with what God has set out for him to do. <clears throat> 
And as Jesus is bearing this burden, we have the picture of him. He's collapsed on his knees. He's praying for an hour, wrestling with God. Luke says in his gospel account of this that Jesus was sweating like drops of blood. This is not an easy scene for the Lord. What's happening behind him from his three closest friends? Verse 37, And Jesus came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? It's interesting, he calls, so he calls Peter Simon. So earlier in the book of Mark, uh, Simon was one of the disciples that Jesus called early on, and, and Jesus gives Simon a new name, Peter. The last place that he refers to him as Simon is back in Mark 3. So Mark continues on, he's Peter. He's a new man. He's following Jesus. The new man is, is with him. And here in this moment, yet Jesus chooses to call him Simon. He says, Simon, are you asleep? I think this is, a, this is a picture of where we see the old versus the new. And Peter um, here, I think Jesus is saying, this is the old you, Simon. This is the old you. You're choosing to, to live out of your flesh instead, your old ways. Look at what Jesus instructs them next. Verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So right before this passage, um, verse 29, uh, 20, well, yeah, 28 following, Jesus has told Peter that he's going to deny him. He's saying, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Peter denies it. He says, Lord, far be it from me. Um, Even though they all fall away, I will not, Peter says. And here they are in the garden. And Jesus is saying, Peter, pray for strength. You're going to be tempted. I've just told you, you're going to be tempted to deny me three times. Your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The, the message, which I, I like to read, is another translation of, of the Bible that um, gives some artistic language to this. I like what it, how it translates this section. Read it to you. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, you went to sleep on me? Can't you stick it out with me a single hour? Stay alert. Be in prayer so you don't enter the danger zone without even knowing it. Don't be naive. Part of you is eager. You're ready for anything in God but another part of you is as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. And I think that's, this is that picture of the, the new and the old. Your spirit is willing, Peter, but your flesh is weak. The, uh, I think this is a good picture for us to just even pause and think about um, what is true for us when we encounter moments like this. The, the words that Jesus uses to, to Peter, he says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does that mean? Um, in the, the book of John, John accounts uh, a part of this gospel account, a part of this scene, um, right after he, Jesus has been with the disciples and there's a, several chapters of Jesus's prayer, Jesus's encouragement um, for the church. So there's a, a, that kind of long section of Jesus praying for them. And in there, he says that, hey, af- after I go, I'm going to send you a helper. <laughs> Jesus is, is referencing there that the, the later in the New Testament unpacks the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. 
And so uh, Jesus has, has prayed for them. He's saying, once I go and I'm crucified and resurrected and I'm no longer with you, you will have a helper, the Holy Spirit. And um, a short summary of how some of the things that the New Testament teaches about who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He's the third member of the Trinity. And it says that if, if you are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit actually lives within you. Me, you, the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so in the Old Testament, God resided in the temple. Following Christ, the Holy Spirit, God himself resides in us, believers. And so this picture of the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Um, the Holy Spirit for us, following this moment, this Jesus' resurrection has happened. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens. We read about it in Acts 2. New Testament goes on to teach about it. But what is true of us, me, you, if you're in Christ right now, the Holy Spirit is in you. And this picture of the flesh, our old self, the Simon, and the spirit, our new self, being in contrast with one another. Um, we read about, there's Romans, Paul unpacks it. He says, what I want to do, I don't do. Galatians, uh, Galatians 5 says, for the, 5 verse 17, the desires of the flesh are set against the desires of the spirit. The desires of the spirit are set against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. <clears throat> I think that that battle is something that we experience day to day. It's something you and I, we know what that feels like of our new self. God, what is, what's true of me, what I know is true from scripture of who I am now in Christ, as opposed to my old self, this, my flesh, my old desires. Um, <clears throat> so the difference between Simon Peter in this passage and those of us here that are in Christ is that we have the Holy Spirit in, in our lives now, his power at work within us. In those moments where we feel that tug between the old and the new, and it is a moment by moment, how I experience it, it is a moment by moment power of uh, a choice, moment by moment power, um, excuse me, choice of do I yield to the power of the Holy Spirit or do I choose my flesh and these old desires? Um, and let's continue on verse 38. See, see what happens here in that, that moment. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh, flesh is weak. Um, he knows that Peter in this moment, and just like us, like we live in the struggle, right? We, we live in the struggle. On this side of heaven, we will have our flesh. The old desires will be there, but it is a choice of do we keep in step with how God's spirit leads us and grow in discipleship or choosing to give in to our, you know, our, our wants and needs of our old ways? Verse 39, and again, Jesus went away and he prayed, saying the same words. Jesus is praying the same words. I was talking with Alex this week about this and highlighting in this verse that, um, do we ever feel like that? Do we ever feel like we're praying and saying the same words again? Here I am again, Lord. So they're the same words. I don't want to do this. I need your help. Jesus knows what, it's feel, knows what it feels like to pray the same words. Goes, go back to your father again, same way. 
I don't know how to say it any other way. Sometimes we find ourselves repeating ourselves often, and Jesus knows what that's like too. Verse 40, and again, the third time, Jesus came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. They didn't know what to answer. The disciples know that they're, they've disobeyed. Jesus said three times, hey, stay alert, stay awake, watch, pray. They disobeyed. They've let him down. Eyes are probably downcast. They, um, they know they've dropped the ball. <clears throat> well, um, verse, verse 41, we're wrapping up here, last couple of verses. Jesus comes to them a third time. And he says to him, you're still sleeping. You're taking your rest. It's enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So Jesus has spent the last hour plus wrestling with God. And he comes out of it having yielded his will to the father's will. Choosing, going forward, even though a sense of grief chooses to be faithfully present with his father. His eyes are fixed firmly on what he's about to do. Not that it's easy. And despite being let down by his but he's behind him, his closest friends. He knows what's before him. And he says in verse 42, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Those words, rise, let us be going. Jesus is in the moment. He's saying, okay, let's go from here. We're about to see Judas coming. Jesus being betrayed into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes. But I think also those words of rise, let us be going is here's Jesus in the face of being betrayed by his closest friends, his disciples. What does he not say to them? He says, let us be going. He doesn't say get lost. He doesn't say you betrayed me. I'm going to move on without you from here. He still invites them to be with him, even though they've just three times Jesus is gracious and he says, let us be going. I think that's, that's good news for, for me. It's good news for you. That even in our weaknesses, as disciples and followers of Jesus, if that's you this morning, he doesn't tell us to get lost. He doesn't say, you blew it, I'm done with you. He says, rise, let us be going. And what's more, he knows that we're gonna likely do it again too. Peter. What happens after this passage? Peter goes on to deny him. Yet Jesus says, rise, let us be going. Come on. It's such a picture, I think, of God's patience with us that even though we continue to drop the ball, let him down. Oh, I did it again. He's so patient with me and with you. Rise, let us be going is what Jesus said. And I think this also is a picture of, of the good news of the gospel, it doesn't end with betrayal is the last thing. This isn't the last time that his sleeping disciples here rise, let us be going. We will not hear those words again in this context, you and I. If you're a disciple of Jesus, the next time you hear rise, let us be going from him, it won't be in the context of death, it won't be in the context of betrayal. It won't be in the context of shame. Rise, let us be going will be in the context of glory. And it'll be in the context of resurrection. A context of life because Jesus, one day, our hope will wipe away all tears. 
He will one day remove all of our pain. He's completely covered our shame. He's completely removed our guilt. He's completely accomplished the redemption of our broken world. And he will restore it back to himself along with us, his children. Rise, let us be going. I want to invite our communion servers forward uh, now. We're going to take communion this morning um, like we do each week here. And I want us to be reminded that Jesus, despite the times that we have let him down, by the sacrifice of his body and his blood, he has accomplished in his resurrection because of that. I want to invite, he invites us to rise with him. This is good news. If you're not a Christian today, you're here maybe for the first time or exploring what faith is in your life. Maybe you're compelled in your heart this morning to explore, to consider what that means to be a follower of Jesus. Love to invite you to come talk with me. Um, love to unpack that with you. Um, if you feel comfortable talking with uh, another woman, if you're a woman, be happy to introduce you to one of the other ladies here at the church too, but um, be happy to unpack that with you. But join me as we celebrate communion and celebrate Jesus' words to us rise. Let us be going. <laughs>